Praise the Lord. Wasn't that a good meeting this past week? Praise the Lord. Man, I'm glad God meets with us, aren't you? Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to sing a little something while you go there, if that'd be all right. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distress till I heard a sweet voice saying make me your choice and I entered the haven of rest I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest I'll sail the white seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy beat, but in Jesus I am safe evermore. The song of my soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of Jesus who'll save whosoever will have a home in the haven of rest. And I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep, but in Jesus I am safe evermore. Oh, come to the Savior, He patiently waits. To save by His power divine. Come anchor your soul in the haven of rest. And say, my beloved is mine. For I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. And I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest it may sweep or the wild stormy deep. But in Jesus I am safe evermore. Luke chapter 22 this morning. And... uh I'd like to begin reading in verse 54, Luke, 50, Luke chapter 22, verse number 54. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Luke chapter 22. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 54. We'll read down to verse 62. The Word of God says, Then took they Him, they took Jesus, and led Him and brought Him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. About the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. Immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Father, I love you this morning. I want to thank you for your people. Lord, what a comfort they are to us in these days. And Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness over this past week. What a blessing that they were to the heart of their pastor. Lord, I know and trust that you fed them. But Lord, we come this morning with our hearts hungry again. We want to hear from you, Lord. 
I pray that You'd take Your precious Word and that You would deliver it, unfold it unto us. Lord, that we may hear not just the words on the pages, but the sweet Holy Ghost speak to our hearts and apply these truths and these words specifically to our life. Lord, there could be one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know Your Son is their Savior. What a tragedy it would be for them to come into a place where the Gospel's preached. Lord, maybe even week after week, walk out of here and into a devil's hell. Lord, what a tragedy it would be for them to live under the shadow of a church steeple and to die in their sins. Lord, I pray that not be the case. But I pray if there's any that's lost, that they would uh, acknowledge their lost state, call unto Christ, believe on Him and ask Him to forgive them and save them. Lord, I know that He will because He saved me, changed my life. And I know, Lord, I'm, I'm nobody and I'm nothing. If He'd do it for me, I'd know He'd do it for them. Lord, I pray that Your people would be fed this morning Your truth, Lord, that You know where we live, You know where we're at, You know what we're going through. I pray that You'd speak to us in that way which would glorify You the most. Lord, we love You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am interested this morning in much of Luke chapter number 22. And we'll spend a few moments here in a little while going through and and looking at some of the Lord Jesus' interactions with the Apostle Peter. But before we get there, there's a few things I want to notice. Uh, for one reason, because it'll help frame the message. And for the second reason, because I've got to figure out if I still remember how to do this. Somebody say amen. been a week and a half since I preached. Amen. i got to see if I can still remember how to do this. But I am fascinated by what the Bible says in a few select verses here. And I want us to compare them. The Bible says in verse 61 that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now this is not unfamiliar scripture to God's people. If you've grown up in the house of God or if you've just been going to church a little while, you've probably heard a message preached on Peter's denial there in Luke chapter number 22. But it is fascinating to me. It shows me Peter at the lowest point in his life. Yet if I go just a little bit back, maybe a few verses back, Brother Fred, back to verse number 33, I find a different Peter in Luke chapter number 22. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, back in the earlier verses, the Lord tells Peter that Satan desires to have him, that he may sift him as wheat, and uh, that he had prayed for him, that his faith fail not. Listen to how Peter replies to that in verse 33. The Bible says that he, Peter, said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. In the very next verse, the Lord tells Peter what he's really ready to do, what he's really about to do. He says in verse 34, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now, here's what I'm interested in this morning. How do we go from the Peter in verse number 33 to the Peter in verse number 62? When the Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly, his heart is broken, his testimony is shattered, his relationship with the Lord is in dire straits, his fellowship with the Lord has been broken. How do we go from a man that in verse 33 says, Lord, I'm going to go and I'd be willing to die with you, I'd be willing to go to prison with you, everybody else may deny you, but I'll never deny you. How could we go from that Peter in verse 33 to the one in verse number 62? I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning on the road to ruin. How does a man go from being at a place where he feels as though his relationship with the Lord is strong and is vibrant and is everything that it needs to be to just a few short hours? If my basic math helps me a little bit here, it's probably less than six six hours between when Peter says in verse 33, I'll go with you both into prison and to death until he's sitting by that fireside denying the Lord, cursing His name and betraying our Savior. How does a man go in six hours from one extreme to the other? Can I ask you this question? How is it we go from in fellowship with the Lord, living for God, walking with God, to making a mess of our lives just like that? We look at Peter and we're pretty hard on these apostles, you know. We look at him and say, boy, that wouldn't be me. But you know, I find in Luke chapter 22 a man that said the very same thing. Don't you, Brother Ken? He says, that'd never be me. And yet it was him. He makes several statements about his devotion. Now somebody's going to say, well preacher, I understand that's true of Peter, but you don't understand. I love the Lord. I'd do anything for Him. I'd die for Him. There's nothing I wouldn't do for the Lord. Listen to what Peter said in John chapter 13. These are parallel accounts of this same passage. In John chapter 13, this is what the Lord said, or Peter said. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow Thee now? I will lay down my life 
for thy sake. We could say it this way, Peter believed his devotion was unneeded. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? He believed it was unthrottled. He believed there was no limit, that there was no end to which his devotion would not go. He said, I would give everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's some that say, now preacher, you don't understand. I know Peter would do that, but I'd do anything for the Lord. Yeah, Peter said he'd do anything for the Lord. I find in Mark's account of this same story in Mark 14, 29, we're given a little bit more insight into what Peter said. When the Lord says that they're all going to betray Him, listen to what Peter says. Peter said unto him, verse 29, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. He said his devotion was unmatched. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, he said, these other jokers out here, they may betray you, but you don't understand how old Peter is. I'm one of the good ones. You ever heard someone say that? I'm one of the good ones. That's a good indication they ain't. Somebody say amen to that. He says, you don't, under, you don't understand, man. I mean, you don't get it. I, all these other clowns, they may do it. All these other apostles. And don't you know that was a tense room at that moment? I don't know about you, but if I had been John or James, I would have been looking over my shoulder. What do you mean? All, Peter. You saying it won't be you? Peter said, yeah, that's right. It won't be me. Everybody else may do this, but I will never do this. He said his devotion was unmatched. And then in Matthew's account, listen to what it says in verse 26, or in verse 33 of chapter 26, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because they... Listen to what it says now. He says, Yet will I never be offended. He believed his devotion was unmovable. He said, There may be other folks that are going to move away from you, Lord, but I never will. Can I tell you this? Never is a big old word. It's a big old word. It's one thing to say, by the grace of God, I won't. And we ought to all be saying this morning, by the grace of God, I'll never disappoint the Lord. I won't betray Him. I won't walk away from Him. And we ought to all have the desire to do that in our lives. But hey, never's a big word. I'd say this, just about everybody that wound up eventually was at one time a never. I, I'm going to say that again. You with me this morning? I know you done been preached all to pieces this week. But stay with me for just a few moments. Hey, listen, everybody that was an eventually was at one point a never. Everybody that eventually walked away from God was at one time a never. Everybody that eventually walked out into sin was at one time just like Peter and said, I never, never will do what they say I will. I've seen so many people over the course of ministry that said, oh, you don't understand, Brother Stephen, I never. Everybody else may do that, but it will never be me. You know, the Bible says that a haughty spirit goes before destruction. That you better take heed when you think you stand. That's when you fall. I'm not saying we ought not be committed. I'm not saying we ought not have our mind made up. But we ought to all recognize that if we stand for God, it'll only be by the grace of God that we do it, not in our own strength. I got news for you. You and I, we cut from the same cloth. And it's called flesh. Every one of us. Preacher, you don't understand. I, I've seen people get out of the will of God, wreck their marriage, wreck their life, wreck their kids. Yeah, and they're just like you and me. And you say, Preacher, why didn't we wind up there? But for the grace of God, we could have been. How'd Peter wind up here? Well, I think when we read in Luke chapter 22, we find a little idea of how he wound up there. And you know what it all relates to? It all relates to how he dealt with the Word of God. You know, in John chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Uh, the same as in the beginning with God. And then it goes on to say, down there in brother four, uh, verse number 14, Brother Ken, you know where I'm talking about. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Lord Jesus, His nature, and the Word of God's nature, they're synonymous. They always say the same thing. We find in Luke chapter 22, three occasions when the Lord sought to say something to Peter. Here's the problem. Peter didn't listen to it. So in other words, the way that Peter treats the Lord Jesus is a lot like the way you and I treat the Word of God sometimes. But let me tell you, what you do with this book will determine what your life becomes. More than any other single factor. Listen, you, you can make all the right decisions. You can, you can be best buds, text back and forth to Dave Ramsey, save money, put it in an envelope. You, you can take care of your health. You can go to a trainer and you can do everything you need. You can eat healthy and, and just go ahead and be miserable and you can do that if you want to. But what happens in your life will be more determined by what we do with the Word of God than anything else. What happened in Peter's life? Well, I want you to notice these three occasions with me. Turn in your Bibles back to verse number 31. We have the first of the Lord's personal interactions with Peter in this chapter in verse number 31. The Bible says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, the Lord just said a mouthful there, didn't He? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that if God showed up in my life and said, Toby, Toby, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have probably said, whoa, wait a minute, but nothing. Hold on, let's back up and talk about that. What do you mean Satan's gonna, gonna have me to sift me as wheat? What do you mean that Satan wants to destroy? I would have stopped him there. And then I would have said, Lord, what are we gonna do about it? What I would have really meant is, Lord, what are you gonna do about it? And he would have said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Peter. I, I've prayed for thee. I've prayed for thee. And he would have said to me, he said, Toby, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art, and I said, now wait a minute, Lord. Faith fail not. Explain that to me. How can my faith fail not? What's going to happen? He would have said, well, when thou art converted, Toby, strengthen thy brethren. I mean, I'm saying this. I would have hung on every word. I would have had a lot of questions. Maybe I'm just dull, but I would have had a lot of questions. Look how Peter responds. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. By the way, Peter doesn't go on to ask any more questions. Wouldn't you think even after that, Charlie, he would have said, now wait a minute, Lord, what do you mean I'm going to deny you? But we find that the Lord speaks this word to Peter. And Peter didn't hear a word of it. Can I say this? He said, Preacher, how does a person's life get so messed up? How do they go from going and growing for God to an utter mess? Well, first off, we see there was a word that he didn't hear. The Lord tried to warn Peter, but Peter didn't listen to it. When I read in this, I find this, uh, we could call it this, a word of preparation. You know, the Lord, every every bit of truth it, it is, is truth. It's either present truth or it's preventative truth. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Lord's either speaking to what we're going through or He's speaking to what we're fixing to go through. And the Lord's trying to prepare Peter. He's trying to ready Peter. Almost like a parent with a child or a teenager trying to teach them some things that they're going to need to know. The Lord's trying to say, Peter, you don't understand. You're getting ready to go through the fire. But almost like a teenager, here's what it did. It went in that ear. And there wasn't nothing to stop it, just like with most most young And so it went right out that ear. He didn't hear what the Lord said. What was it? Well, I noticed first off it was a word of caution. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as we. Can I tell you this morning, you know why we get into such a mess? Because the Lord tries to warn us what the devil wants to do in our life and we just won't listen to it. We just won't listen. We say to ourselves, it's, it's not me. And it's interesting, the Lord uses the double name for Peter. Simon, Simon. He don't want Peter misunderstanding. He don't want him thinking that he said Simeon or, or Susan. He wants him to understand, I'm talking to you, Peter. But you know, the Lord does that with us too. You say, preacher, how does he do that? How does he do that double call in our life? You know, the psalmist said this. I don't want to get in the weeds here. Usually when I say that, I do. But <laughs> get your weed whacker out. Amen. You might have to help me in a second. But you know, the psalmist made this statement. He said, once have I heard this, twice hath it been said. You remember what I'm talking about, Brother Charlie? That power belongeth unto God. You know what the psalmist is saying there? He's saying, once hath it been said. The Word of God has proclaimed that power belongs unto God. But then here's what the psalmist said, twice have I heard it. He said, I've seen it in the Word of God, but I've seen it lived in the lives of men too. You know there's a New Testament equivalent to that? Once hath it been said, but twice have I heard the Lord speaks to us not just through the Word of God, but He confirms and affirms that truth through the sweet Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives. So it's almost like when the Lord says to Peter, Simon, Simon, He speaks twice. He wants Peter to understand He's talking to him. You know, that's what God does too. A preacher stands up with the Word of God and preaches the Word of God and we might be tempted to say, well, that's good for somebody. Boy, I wish so-and-so was here. Man, somebody ought to get a copy of that. But then the sweet Holy Ghost comes by and says, no, 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 friend, I'm talking to you this morning. He confirms in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Simon, Simon, the Lord speaks directly to us. And here's what He says, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. In other words, Satan's after you. Boy, there's a lot we can say about it, but I don't have time, so let me just say this and move on. Satan wants to destroy us. Preacher, you're dramatic. That's what Peter said. Uh, preacher, the devil ain't interested in me. Uh, that's what Peter said. Preacher, you don't understand. That happens to other folks. It ain't going to happen to me. That's what Peter said. It would do us well this morning to hear this word of caution from the truth of God's Word. 
It was a word of caution. Number two, I see this. It was a word of comfort. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, listen to what he goes on to say, verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy bread. Man, that's a precious verse. <coughs> Excuse me. Later on, that would come to mean much to Peter. In fact, if you go to the books of First and Second Peter, they are distinctly focused on strengthening the people of God. Eventually, Peter learned the lesson. But you know why he didn't learn it on this night? He didn't listen to verse number 32 because he didn't listen to verse 31. He didn't listen to the word of caution. Listen now. So the word of comfort didn't mean nothing to him. You know why a lot of preaching falls on deaf ears? Because we're preaching to a solution of which people are not convinced of the problem yet. We're preaching a solution of which so many are not yet convinced of the problem. We're preaching how to get out of sin, but most folks ain't even admitted they're in sin yet. We're, we're preaching how to get your life straight, but most people ain't even willing to admit to put their pride to death and admit that their life is a mess in the first place. And I'll tell you this, you won't ever hear that word of comfort if you won't hear that word of caution. And then I see not only is there a word of comfort and a word of caution, look at verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. I preached a tent meeting back of this. I'm going to tell you this. I preached a tent meeting back of this. And, and I got up and I preached. I prayed about it, man. I knew what God wanted me to preach. And, and I preached. And I, and I believe the Holy Ghost worked. And I believe He moved. Man, I was feeling good about it. And preaching, it's funny what preaching McBride said the other day. Because he said, he said, when I get done preaching, how many of y'all heard him say this? He said, when I get done preaching, I feel like, he said, before I get to the pew, I feel like an absolute failure. And then he said, a lot of times, like months later, somebody will come to me and, and, and they'll say, oh boy, that word helped me. I mean, that was good. That whatever. And I thought, I had the exact opposite problem. I walk, Jesse understands what I'm saying, apparently. I walk out of the pulpit and I'll think, boy, God was in that. And then somebody will do something or say something. And I'll think, maybe? <laughs> come up to him. Well, the Lord really spoke to me about that preacher. And, 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 I, and miss, I, I was preaching and I, I, I preached this to him. Man, I thought God was in it. And the preacher gets up afterwards and here's what he says. He said, he said, I've studied the Bible my whole life. I've read over that passage countless times. And I don't have a clue what he was preaching about. That's what he said. He said, maybe it's my fault, but I don't have any idea what he was talking about. And this, this is what he did. He said, like that right there. He did that. He went, and put his head, his hand up. He said, went right over my head. What are you talking about feeling that big? You listening this morning? I, it was a tent meeting, so it was outside, so I just crawled in a ditch and just crawled, belly sniper crawled all the way to my truck and left. And, and I, I think he was trying to say something nice, maybe, I don't know, but but he was saying it just went right over my head. You ever said something to somebody and you could tell when you said it, it went right like that, right over the head? You know what happened in verse number 33? Right over Peter's head. He didn't hear a word that the Lord said. And here's what the Lord replies then. Peter says, Lord... I, I'm ready to go with you into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt deny that thou knowest me. We find a word of caution. We find a word of comfort. Listen now. We find a word of clarity. You know what the Lord said? Peter said, not me. The Lord said, oh yes, Peter. You. You know the Word of God shows us what we are. You with me this morning? <coughs> if you're not, I'll preach to those that are. It'll be all right. But you know, preaching gets shared around, so the less people that are in on it, the longer it takes. Amen? You know, the Lord shows us what we are. The Bible tells us in the book of James that the Word of God is like a looking glass. We behold our natural face in a glass. We see who and what we are. You know what the Word of God will do? It will show you what you really are. You know what the flesh is? The flesh is a funhouse mirror. It exaggerates things. And there's times you'll go and look in a in a funhouse mirror and it'll be one of those that makes you blow out big and huge. You know what I'm talking about? And it'll you know, sometimes the flesh will get you convinced that there ain't nothing God can do in your life. You're just overblown. God can't you you're worse than what and then sometimes you'll look in them funhouse mirrors. These are the ones that I like, and they'll make you real skinny. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the flesh will come along and it'll make you think you're better than what you are. Peter's flesh is making him think he's better than what he is. He's saying, Lord. I would never, I would go into prison and to death. And here's what the Lord Jesus does. He just lifts up that mirror. And He says, uh, <clears throat> Peter, won't you take a look at what you really are? That's what the sweet Holy Ghost does. He lifts up that mirror and He says, take a look at what you really are. 
But you know what I find? If we won't listen to the word of caution, the word of comfort don't mean anything to us. But if we won't listen to the word of caution and the word of comfort, here's the problem we've got. We've got a problem with clarity. If we're unwilling to accept what the Lord says about us, how can the Lord help us? You go to your doctor, and I've always thought it would be frustrating to be a doctor and somebody say, well, I want a second opinion. As a preacher, it's discouraging. Sometimes people will come to you and they'll say, preacher, i got this problem. You, you help me with it. Tell me what I need to do. And I'll say, well, this is what you need to do. And they'll go, uh, I'm going to get a second opinion. And I've always thought to myself, we would have both been better off if that second opinion had been your first opinion. I, we wouldn't have wasted your time or mine. You know, sometimes with the Lord, He comes along and He speaks to us in the Word of God. And we say, well, I'm going to go to Facebook and get a second opinion. I'm going to go to the self-help book and get a second opinion. I, I, I'm going to go to my friends and get a second opinion. I'm just telling you this. If you won't accept that word of caution and that word of comfort, you better believe you won't listen to that word of clarity. Peter winds up in the mess that he's in because there was a word he didn't hear and it was the word of preparation. Look a little further in your Bible with me this morning. Go down to verse 39. This is interesting. We don't really think of this having much to do with Peter. But I want you to think about what's happened that night. The Lord has revealed to Peter some things about Himself. Peter has not been willing to listen to what the Lord has had to say. So look what it says in verse number 39. <coughs> the Bible says, And he came out talking of Jesus and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. When he was at the place... He said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. I'd say this this morning. When I look in this passage, I see there was a word that he didn't hear. And it was a word of preparation. How do we get in such a mess, preacher? Well, I noticed there was a word that he couldn't hear. And it was the word of demonstration. Isn't it interesting that the Lord does not say, Pray lest I enter into temptation. You know, most of the time when we ask for a prayer request, that's how we ask it, isn't it? Well, pray for me that this happens in my life. That's only natural. Nothing wrong with that. We'll say, preacher, I'm having a health issue. I'm having a financial issue. I'm having a, a relationship issue. Lord, pray for me that God will give me strength, give me wisdom. That's perfectly appropriate. But the Lord didn't say that to Peter. He didn't say, pray lest I enter into temptation. He said, Peter, pray lest ye enter into temptation. In other words, it was in Peter's benefit to watch the Lord pray. wonder why it was the Lord wanted Peter Look up and pay attention while he prayed. I think it's because the Lord was trying to show Peter some things, to exemplify some things, to demonstrate some things to Peter that Peter needed for this battle that he was about to go through. You say, preacher, well, what do you mean? Well, notice these things. Look in verse 44. The Bible says, "In being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, I think he wanted prayer to, uh, I think he wanted Peter to see a passionate supplication. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I think, I think he wanted to see Peter. I wanted Peter to see how prayer works. I tell you this, when we go through battles, when we go through struggles, if we don't know how to pray, we're in a mess. And this thing of knowing how to pray, it has less to do with uh, having form or having a balance in our prayer life or this, that. It has less to do with how we pray and more to do with how much we pray and how intently we pray. Now, I'm not saying there's not a right way to pray. I'm not saying there can't be a wrong way to pray. I'm just saying this. It'd be better to pray and it not be exactly what it ought to be than sit around and never pray because we don't think we can get it prayed the way that we want to. You know what he saw in the garden? Or he would have seen in the garden had he stayed awake? He would have seen that the Lord knew that if, if Calvary was going to be met, it would be met through intense prayer. Here's the Son of God. Here's God robed in flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Him. His, His divinity, His, His Godness was not mitigated. It wasn't, it wasn't hindered. It wasn't stifled or degraded in any way. He's God. But if He's going to go to Calvary, He's going to go in prayer. You know, I, I don't think it was just about getting Peter to pray. I think it was about getting Peter to see what prayer really is like. And that it's going to take more. Can I say to you this morning? It's going to take more. It's going to take more devotion. 
It's going to take more dedication. It's going to take more prayer. It's going to take more consecration than what we've been given if we're going to meet the battles ahead of us. The easy days are gone, my friend. They're gone. It's going to take more. The devil's after us. He wants to destroy us. This thing of just resting on our laurels, man, that's done. That's done. There's a casualness that we have been accustomed to in Christianity. And I I hate to... It ain't my fault. I I didn't cause it. But I'm just here to tell you those days is past. It's going to take more. He wanted him to see a passionate supplication. Number two, look what it says in verse 42. When the Lord prayed, this is what He prayed. He said, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. wonder why the Lord Jesus spoke that out loud. You know, when we pray, we were telling our son this the other day, when you pray, you don't have to speak out loud if you don't want to. You can pray in your heart. God, God hears your heart. God hears your heart. I, I think there can be a danger. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying out loud. And I understand confession is made unto salvation with the lips. I understand all that, but I, I think there can be a danger because we can make people think that that approaching God is formulaic in nature, that all we're just doing is just sort of giving an incantation, reciting almost like... But you know, prayer, prayer is something of the heart. There's a lot of folks that their lips move, but their hearts don't. And there are going to be folks like Hannah that her lips move because her heart moved. And there are going to be folks that pray and God knows their heart and their lips never move, but God can hear because they are intelligently praying unto the Lord and they're praying silently. The Lord could have prayed that way. But He spoke it out loud. Why did He do that? Well, I think He did it for the benefit of those that were around Him. The only problem was they was asleep instead of awake. wonder what He wanted them to hear. Well, I think He wanted them to hear not only a passionate supplication, but a pivotal surrender. I think He wanted them to understand that if you're going to meet the battle that lays ahead, the only way to do it is to surrender your will to God's will and to say, Lord, I want what You want and not what I want. Can I tell you this as parents, this is a little parental uh, encouragement. It ain't even advice because you already know it. But it's encouragement. best way to teach our kids to live for God is to live for God in front of them. <coughs> That's how the Lord Jesus taught His disciples. He lived and walked with them for three and a half years. He could have just pinned down a book. To our knowledge, the Lord Jesus never wrote anything down except in the sand there by that woman in adultery. Instead, what did He do? He lived it in front of them. Now, he gave us His Word. What I'm saying is this, the best way we can show somebody is to show somebody. The best way we can reach them is to teach them. And the best way we can teach them is to show them. And the Lord, I think, was trying to reveal to Peter, this is what it's going to take, Peter. You're getting ready to go through the fire, Peter. You're going to have to do it with prayer. You're going to have to do it by surrendering to the Lord. But then I notice this. This is only in the Gospel of Luke. Look what it says in verse 43. The Bible says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening. Now, did the Lord need divine strength? No, He's the source of all strength. But this was supposed to be for their benefit. If they hadn't been sleeping, they would have seen it. What He's trying to do was see. He wanted them to see a provided strength. He wanted them to understand that if you'll do what God asks of you, when you reach the limit of your capability, God will send help and make up the difference. Peter was getting ready to fight a battle he wasn't equipped for. And not simply because he did not listen but in his flesh, he was unequipped for it. And you know the spiritual battles you and I face, we're unequipped for it. We don't have what it takes. But you know who does? The Lord. I think he was trying to... But you see, here's the problem. There's a word he couldn't hear. You don't hear the things that you sleep through. And I ain't preaching to anybody this morning because if they're already asleep, they ain't listening anyway. Some you say, man, all I'm saying, all I'm saying this morning is we've got to be willing to hear. Sometimes we tune out from God. We tune out from God. You know what we do? We become spectators in this thing of worship. I, you know, that's part of the problem. I don't want to, I, boy, I, I mean, I do want to, but I don't, I shouldn't. But that's part of the problem with modern Christianity. It's part of the problem with the whole praise movement. It's part of the problem with the whole ditching the hymnals and just getting the, the words on a screen. You know the problem with that? It turns people into spectators. It turns them into people that are just there to witness something instead of actively participating. Hey, listen, I, I don't, we, we got a screen up there. I could roll her down. I could put the King James Bible up there and it'd be the Bible up there just like it's the Bible here. But I want you to have a Bible in your hands because you ain't just here to spectate. 
You're here to participate. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying, all I'm saying is I think it, it matters. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll just become spectators in this thing of Christianity. We'll tune out. And when the Lord will deal with us and speak to us and work in our life, we don't hear it because we've done tuned out from it. I think there was a word that he couldn't hear. But look down with me in verse number 47. I'll give you this and be done this morning. The Bible says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And John was a, was a gracious uh, gospel writer. He could have just said who said that. We, we find out who said it. But John, it seemed there was always a little tension between John and Peter, a little bit of competition. You remember when they're running to the tomb and John says, but the disciple whom Jesus loved arrived there first? A little bit of competition there. And it seems like John, he's, he's being kind to Peter. He doesn't say him by name, but we know who asked this question by what follows. The Bible says, they said to him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now we know who that was because the Bible tells us elsewhere in the Bible that it was Peter that took that sword. In Matthew's account, it tells us that Peter took the sword and cut off that high priest's servant's ear. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 51. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Jesus said, uh, said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, be come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Notice this phrase, Peter followed afar off. Isn't that interesting? We know from Matthew's account that it was Peter that took out that sword and cut off that high priest's servant's ear. Now, I, I'm not a swordsman. I, I'm not, I mean, I, I got scars all over. I can't even handle a pocket knife without having to go to the emergency room. But Peter wasn't no swordsman either. I'd say this, with Charlie, I, maybe I'm wrong here, but wielding a sword, and we assume it was probably a Roman short sword, having the deftness and dexterity, having the skill and ability to cut a man's ear off would be wildly difficult. Probably most trained Roman soldiers wouldn't have that kind of precision. You know, I don't think an old fisherman from Galilee had that kind of precision either. Here's what I think. I think he was trying to take his head off. And I don't think he had no beef with the high servants, the high priest servant. I think he was trying to get to Judas. I think he tried to cut that boy's head off because you remember what he said. He said, I'm ready to go into prison and into death. He's still operating in that mode. But the Lord looks at him and He says, Suffer ye thus far. We read that sort of, uh, I'm going to use a, a Bushism here, pansified. All right? You won't find that in the dictionary anywhere. We read that and, it, and it's just sort of, you know, suffer ye thus far. But I don't think that's how He said it. I think He said it in a strong tone. In fact, when we read the other accounts, the Lord said unto Peter in John 18, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my Father hath given me, Shall I not drink it? In Matthew's account, <coughs> he says this, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? How then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. Here's what I'm saying. I think that was said in strong language. Now here's what's interesting to me. Here's a man that's ready to kill multiple people to keep the Lord from being arrested. The Lord is arrested. But then the Bible says this, Peter followed afar off. Now, lest you think that's just how they had to follow, we find out that John followed closer. In fact, when they get to Caiaphas' house, the high priest's house, the Bible tells us that John went on in. But Peter stayed a little far behind. We were sitting on the couch yesterday, and uh, little baby Schofield was sitting. He wasn't really sitting. He was piled up on his mama. <coughs> He was tired. He just woke up from a nap. And he was kind of, you know how kids will do, he's thrashing around and everything. Well, he, he leaned over and knocked him right in the face. And she said, Schofield, be, she set him over to the side and said, Schofield, be careful, you hurt me. 
he sold up and got real quiet and looked over and refused to look at her. And then he started with that pouty face. That lip hung out about four feet. And he was mad. He refused to talk with her because she had scolded him and rebuked him. You know what I think we find here? There is a word that he didn't hear. It was a word of preparation. There was a word he couldn't hear. It was a word of demonstration. Then I think we find here a word that he wouldn't hear because it was a word of correction. You know what I think happened here? I think Peter pulls out that sword to defend the Lord. And the Lord says, put it up, Peter. I don't need you to defend me. This is appointed of God. You're trying to hinder, just like you have before, Peter. You're trying to hinder Calvary. You have no business doing it. I don't need your help, Peter. If I want it, I can call for legions of angels, but I don't need it, Peter. How else is Scripture going to be fulfilled? Here's what I think Peter said. Alright, go ahead and die then. Alright, you don't want my help? Fine. You go on and go to your fate. Let me use this word. I think he was sulking. I think he was mad because the Lord corrected him, rebuked him, and all he was trying to do was help the Lord in the first place. You know, I found this. Sometimes what we think is helping God isn't helping God. Sometimes we get awfully attached to our plans and when God comes along and changes them or corrects us or rebukes us, we get mad at God. We do what Peter does. We step back. We just kick our feet. We complain. We get a sorry attitude. One preacher said it this way, get bit by the bitter bug and get mad at God because He had to correct us. When I see this, I notice that the Lord's response to Peter, it's three things. One, I find it's a word of restraint. The Lord says to Peter, suffer ye thus far. Can I give you East Tennessee hillbilly language for that? Knock it off. That's what He says to Peter. Knock it off, Peter. I did not ask you to do that. You know, sometimes when the Lord comes to our life, and it might be sin, or it might be self-will and self-reliance, might even be something that we think we're doing for God, but God doesn't want us to do it. A lot of times He'll come to us, He'll say, hey son, knock it off. Stop. Cease. And He will seek to restrain us in our behavior. Has the Lord ever come and told you to knock it off and you got mad at Him over it? Has there been something in your life you've been doing and, and it's been something that you have gotten connected to and attached to? Maybe something you love, maybe something you value. And the Lord, the sweet Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, that's wrong, that's sin, stop! And instead of listening to the Lord, you sulk on God. I see it was a word of restraint. Number two, I see it was a word of rebuke. In John's account, we already read it, but I'll read it again. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? That's strong language. You know what that is? That's a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a question you ask that you don't expect an answer to. You expect the person you asked it to already know the answer and to be embarrassed that they weren't walking and living in the strength or in the knowledge of that answer. That's why you ask a rhetorical question question. Uh, as a parent, you may have hollered at your child and asked them to come. They didn't come. And you said, are you deaf? And you know they're not deaf. But you want them to say, nope, I'm not deaf. I should have come when mommy and daddy called me. The Lord only asks rhetorical questions because He's omniscient. But this distinctly is rhetorical in nature. Here's what He's saying. He's saying, now Peter, I done told you this was what was going to happen. Why are you trying to stop me from going to Calvary? He's saying, don't you think, don't you trust me and my Father in this? Why, Peter, are you trying to take things into your hands instead of letting them be in my hands? It was a word of rebuke. It cut to the very heart of a problem that Peter had exhibited before. You remember there was a time that Peter grabbed the shoulders of God and shook Him and rebuked the Lord for saying He was going to go die at Calvary. And the Lord gets right back at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. Here's that old flesh rearing up again. And the Lord in no uncertain terms rebukes Peter for his disobedience. You know, sometimes when the Lord rebukes us, we get mad. I, I've, I've got too many stories in too little time. But can I just say this? When you start pastoring at 22 years old, when you start pastoring at 22 years old, there's some folks struggle with that. And I don't just mean the pastor struggles with it. The pastor does too. But sometimes other people struggle. There have been times in ministry I've had to say things to people that I didn't want to say. If I'd had my way, I'd have just went and 
and, and, and been sweet and been kind and complimented and just ignored the problem. But I was duty bound to deal with someone. I talked to them and they couldn't, you know, there's a reason Paul tells Timothy to let no man despise thy youth. Because when you start off that, young people are prone to. They're prone to. And there's been times I've seen people's disposition change. Because I've had to say something to them that, that I didn't want to have to say and they didn't want to hear. But it had to be said. And I've seen them all of a sudden because they were rebuked. Because they were, they sull up. They get angry. And nothing ever is the same. Ever is the same. You know that most people when they leave, boy, I, I shouldn't. Most people is already out the door before they ever leave. I could point in people's lives and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't dishonor the Lord and I wouldn't dishonor the church by doing it. But I could go through and I could name people that got mad, that got upset, that got bitter. And I could point to the time when their attitude changed. And almost invariably, you know what it has to do with? It has to do with either they were wanting to do something that wasn't the will of God or they were already doing something that wasn't the will of God. And when the Lord dealt with them about it, instead of listening to the Lord, they got bitter. I see it was a word of rebuke. But you know what I find here? And I'll just mention this to be done. Think about what Matthew's account says. Then said Jesus unto him, verse 52 of Matthew 26, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. This word that made Peter mad, that corrected him, that he refused to hear, that he got mad at God over. This word was a word of rescue. He was saying, Peter, you take that sword, they're going to kill you. If you if you take that sword and you try to live by it, Peter, you'll die by that sword. It's very possible that if the Lord hadn't stepped in and intervened, Peter could have been killed that night. The Bible says they came out against the Lord with spears and with staves. I believe Peter was probably a big old, big old hulking guy, but I don't care how many you are, when there's a legion of soldiers, when there's a, a score of soldiers, he wouldn't have stood a chance. You know, here's the problem. He was saying, Lord, I'm ready to die. But the Lord said, Peter, I'm not ready for you to die. I've got more for you. I've got other things I want to do in your life. Peter, the best of you is yet to come. And I don't want you to die here tonight. You know, a lot of times we're very noble in what we proclaim to be our commitment to the Lord. But really what it is, is our commitment to our own nobility. Lord, I'd do anything for you. Even if it's something that you don't want to do. Or only if it's something you already want to do. Lord, I'd do anything for you. Like I'd serve in this way, or I'd do this, or I'd, I'd this, or I'd that. Yeah, but what if it's none of those things that God wants of you? What if it's something that doesn't fit into your hopes and dreams? What if it's something that is not what you've always planned and always hoped for? Would you follow God even then? I think at that moment, Peter longed for a martyr's death. You know, it's ironic because he'd eventually get one. But not for many years. And not in the way that he thought. Interesting thing, Peter never did die by the sword. They crucified him upside down. It's the way that Peter died. You say, preacher, why is that? Well, because the Lord rescued him that night from a foolish and angry fate that he would have died had he not been willing to stop in that moment. You know, all the Lord's trying to do is help us. It may take an hour, Fred. All the Lord's trying to do is help us. You know that? All He's trying to do is help you. We get so mad at God. We're like little children. Get angry at a parent when they tell us, slap our hand and say, no, you can't have this, you can't that. You know all God's trying to do is help you? You know... I wasn't going to, but they told me to. You know you're a lot bigger hassle to God than blessing. And it'd be a lot easier for God to just write you off and throw you on the trash heap of eternity. But He loves you. That's why He says what He says. That's why He does what He does. You, you ever think, you ever be a parent, think back to what it was like before you had kids and you were single? It's been years since I've just gotten a car and went somewhere without it involving the, the entire breakdown and deconstruction and packing away of a Ringling Brothers service. 
And sometimes parents or children will look at you and say, you just want to tell me what to do. And I'll think, yeah, that's what I wanted out of my life was to sit here arguing with you. You're right, I've dreamed about it. That's silly and it's funny to laugh about, but don't we do God that way? God, you just want to tell me what to do. Yeah, He don't have nothing better to do. That's really God's hopes and dreams is to just be able to tell you what to do. Could it be God's doing what He's doing because He loves us? Let's not even say could it be. Let's, let's not even play in the rhetorical realm. God does what He does in our life because He loves us. He tells us to put up the sword. It's not because He hates us. And by the way, it's not because there ain't a time for swords. But it's because He knows better than we know in our life. Sometimes we do what Peter does. We sort of soul. We wreck. Isn't it interesting when Peter got mad at God, the first thing he wanted to do was slow down, back up, get away from God, quit going, quit keeping up. First thing you want to do is check out of the whole thing. Check out of the whole thing. I'm just saying in our life, he said, preacher, how does somebody wind up like Peter does? Same way you and I do. When there's a word that we, we, we don't hear. When God speaks to us, but we're too proud of ourselves and too fixed on ourselves to hear what God has to say to us. When there's a word that we can't hear, when we're not present, when we're not emotionally and spiritually submitted, listening in tune to what God has to say. Preacher, when there's a word that we won't hear, that's when it happens. When the Lord speaks to us, we say, no thank you. No thank you. You don't want me to do things my way, Lord. I just won't do nothing at all. Boy, how many have made shipwreck of their life with that spirit and attitude. Lord, here's my help. Take it or leave it. You know God will leave it every time. Every time. Every time we bow up on God. Say, God, I'm going to do it this way. And you'll either take it or leave it. God will leave it every time. You know why? Because He can't do nothing with it. can't do nothing with it. Because it's not, it's not Him, it's us. And the only way anything good comes out of it is if it's Him and not us. How do we wind, how does He wind up there? Same way we wind up there. Same way you could wind up there. Same way I could wind up there. Oh, preacher, you don't understand. It, it takes years to get in a mess like that. You understand that Peter wound up on a Sunday morning. If this had been on a church day, on Sunday morning, he's in the choir shouting. By Sunday night, he's in the ditch weeping. That quickly, that quickly, it could happen in your life. It could happen in mine. Let's bow together this morning. And that, I believe, is the mind of God. My question is, if the Lord spoke to you, how will you respond to Him? Alex is going to come play. Father, bless this invitation. Pray that Your people would be obedient unto You. Lord, it could be us. It should be us. Why would it not be us? But Lord, by Your grace, I pray and I beg and I ask that it not be us. Help us to be willing to listen. Help us to have ears to hear. Lord, help us to be obedient when You speak. I ask it in Christ's name with our heads bowed.